You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Philippians. Here's Nate. The descriptive word for the book of Philippians is the word joy. Paul wrote a letter of joy to the Philippian church. And of course, this is contrasted with many of his other epistles. Uh, the letter that he wrote to the Galatian church, for instance, a letter in which he had to defend the gospel with everything within him, or his letters to the Corinthian church, where there was much correction and doctrinal confusion. Uh, his letter to even places like Ephesus, where he was explaining the great richness that we have in Christ Jesus, or his uh, treatise on the gospel in the book of Romans, or the high Christology from the book of Colossians. Where, wherever you might be, each epistle and letter from Paul carries with it a different tone. But as Paul wrote to the Philippian church, this letter is a letter of absolute joy. And really, in one sense, this letter is a glorified Holy Spirit inspired in the canon of scripture thank you note from a prisoner apostle named Paul who in Rome imprisoned was so thankful that the Philippian church had sent financial support and a wonderful pastor named Epaphroditus to minister to him, and as a result of their care and their concern and their love, Paul wrote a thank you letter under the inspiration of the Spirit back to the Philippian church. And this letter, even though it came from imprisonment, is a letter filled with absolute and wonderful joy. And so because of that, what we have are these special glimpses into the heart of Paul the Apostle. Because he has no major doctrine to confront uh, or correct, he has no major word of correction or rebuke for the Philippian church, he's able to simply emote. But as he does, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit, we learn some absolutely uh, wonderful things uh, from Paul, from his life, and from his heart. And in this first section, verse 1 all the way through verse 11, we see the real heart of Paul for this special church in Philippi and, and why he saw them as a special group of believers. But first of all, we see in verse 1 the authors of this little epistle. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God our Father verse 2 and the Lord Jesus Christ and so we have the introduction to this epistle and first of all we notice that the letter is from number one Paul uh, the apostle. Now, it is interesting that here Paul does not mention his apostleship. He leaves it blank. He just says Paul and Timothy. He usually reserved the title for letters in which he was either going to correct or letters in which he was going to instruct. But here, as a friend, as a companion, as a thankful man, he writes back as a missionary reporting to his sending church, and they would know him by his name, no title 
was necessary. Now, it is obvious from this letter that Paul wrote this letter from prison. In verse 13 of chapter 1, we see that he was in chains and that he administered to the palace guard. In later in chapter 1 and also in chapter 2, we discover that Paul was considering his imminent death. He believed that death was possible on his horizon as a result of this imprisonment. And it appears that this is the imprisonment that Paul experienced uh, in Rome. And this was a very lonely time for Paul. We learn in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, At my first defense, which would have been here, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And so this was a lonely time. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 17, he says, Onesiphorus, when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and he found me. Something that Paul rejoiced over, that someone actually came and looked for him. And so what we'll discover later in this letter is that the Philippian church had sent a man named Epaphroditus with a financial gift. And this had greatly blessed and ministered to the heart of Paul. Now we also see that this letter is from Timothy, uh, likely mentioned by Paul because the Philippians knew Timothy. Timothy was there when the Philippian church was birthed in uh, Acts chapter 16, just a wonderful birth of the Philippian church. And so uh, he mentions Timothy uh, as, you know, in part of the authorship of this letter. But this is, of course, coming from the pen of Paul. Perhaps Timothy operated as a scribe, but at the very least, they knew him. And it's two, verse one, the saints in Christ who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that Paul is writing this letter to the super spiritual people in Philippi called the saints. No, this is anybody who is in Christ Jesus, he says. The saints in Christ Jesus. And then he tells them who are at Philippi. Now, this is a unique title, a unique introduction. The reason why it's so unique or interesting is that uh, the city that this church lived in, the city of Philippi, was a very proud city. Geographically, it was on a road between Europe and Asia, a very strategic uh, city. And years earlier, around 42 BC, this city had been taken for Rome, conquered, and made into a colony city. And this means that res residents of this city were citizens technically of Rome itself. And they had the, the rights that came with being a citizen of Rome. And so uh, because these citizens of Rome would move to Philippi and be there, they had what was called the Italic Rite. Uh, and, and so uh, their land was treated as Italian soil. And so this would be a very proud kind of city, a very proud uh, place to live. And so Paul, he speaks to them and says, listen, you are saints in Christ Jesus and you are at Philippi. You are at Philippi. Uh, in other words, Paul is letting them know, listen, your citizenship here on earth might be in Philippi, but your real citizenship is in heaven. You are saints in Christ Jesus. And he includes the overseers or the bishops 
and the deacons. These are the pastors and the uh, deacons who are spiritual men caring for practical matters in the church. Uh, he includes them in this description or in this uh, uh, address, which means that the church in Philippi at this time was a very organized and developed church. They had pastors, they had deacons, they had structure uh, to them. And then he tells them, verse 2, grace and peace uh, from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very typical greeting from Paul. Now in verse 3, he immediately moves into this uh, warm remembrance of the Philippian church. He says, I thank my God, verse 3, in all my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And so he mentions in verse 3 and 4, just this wonderful remembrance and this wonderful joy that he had every single time he prayed for the Philippian church. Every single remembrance that he had of them was a positive remembrance. And to be honest, this kind of person in life or this kind of church in life is beautiful and rare. Ten years had separated Paul from the establishment of the Philippian church. The time that he'd walked into Philippi and looked for a synagogue to preach in found that there weren't enough Jewish men to warrant a synagogue, and so he went to the riverside where a small little pocket of Jews gathered together. Uh, Lydia, a prominent and wealthy woman being one of them, he preached the gospel. A few of the women gave their lives to the Lord, and then almost immediately a dem demonically oppressed and possessed slave girl began to cry out as she followed Paul and his companions saying, truly, these men are servants of the Most High God, the right message, but the wrong messenger. And Paul, and Paul turned and rebuked the demon, drove it from the woman, but she was owned by masters who used her for fortune telling. And so they were displeased with what Paul had done. They threw him into prison. And there at night, at midnight, it tells us that Paul and Silas in Acts 16 were singing songs of praise to the Lord as they were locked up in the stocks down in the bottommost part of the prison. And in the night, the earth shook and the bars of the uh, prison were opened and their chains fell off of them. They were set free. And there's the wonderful recounting of the Philippian jailer who when he opened his eyes because he'd been sleeping, he saw that the gates of the prison had been opened and assumed that the prisoners had escaped. And he pulled out his sword to fall on it and commit suicide. And Paul said, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And he was so impressed with that, with the singing, with, with the story, with, with, with all that had been shared with him up to that point. And he said, what must I do to be saved. And Paul told him, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And so the early establishment of the Philippian church, but we are now 10 years down the road from that moment. And Paul is 800 miles away, but every remembrance that he had of this church was positive. Every remembrance of you, he said, I thank God for, and in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy. There was just joy within his heart. 
uh, over the Philippian church. And, and again, not everyone in life is going to elicit this kind of emotion from us. But like David with Jonathan, when he said to Jonathan that your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women, as he eulogized uh, Jonathan, it, there was a close bond between J David and Jonathan. There was a close bond with, between Paul and the church in Philippi. And there will be moments in life where we have this kind of connection with people. And so Paul just began to, with joy, rejoice over this Philippian church. And then he began to list the reasons for his great joy. Number one is found in verse five. He said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Reason number one for celebrating the Philippian church in the mind of Paul was because of a partnership in the mission of the gospel that they uh, took with him. Notice what he said in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. In other words, they weren't merely friendly with Paul. There wasn't just simple camaraderie with Paul. There was a sharing of a greater mission. And that greater mission was the communication of the gospel throughout uh, the world. You know, I know a lot of guys who have gone to war physically and of course, as a pastor, I know many men who have gone to war in a spiritual kind of sense in the body of Christ. And I think the bond is very similar. There's a connection with those that you have gone to physical war and battle with. And I think that connection is very similar to the connection that people who have a kingdom priority, who step out in ministry and plow into new territories or lead churches or lay down their lives to serve the Lord, there is a camaraderie and a fellowship with those who partner in the gospel that is very strong. And, you know, he says, you partnered with me from the first day until now. You know, that first day back in Acts 16, when Lydia gave her life to the Lord, it's like the Philippian church just shot out of a cannon and, you know, engaged in the work that God was doing in presenting the gospel to the world, especially through Paul the Apostle. And the way that the Philippian church did this, frankly, was financially. Uh, they prayed, they joined with Paul, but the thing that he rejoices over in this letter is the way that they financially backed the work of God uh, through his life. And so the, the Philippian church, this lifestyle of being all about the uh, work, the partnership of the gospel. That was Paul's number one reason for rejoicing over this Philippian church. They were givers. But he had another reason as well. Verse 6, he said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He also rejoiced over the Philippian church because as he looked at them and observed them, it was obvious to him that God had started a work in their lives. You know, they had been saved. They had begun as a church. God was working in them as they gave this gift to Paul. And Paul was certain when he looked at the Philippian church that this work would be completed by God. 
He says, I am, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I think sometimes we quote this verse and just sort of say it to almost anyone. You know, I'm sure that God is going to complete the work that he began in you. And in one sense, that is wonderfully true. The sovereign hand of God, he holds us in his strong and mighty right hand. He will complete the work that is in us. But I think Paul was able to say this concerning the Philippian church with such strong confidence, not just from a theological place of understanding, but because he looked at the Philippian church and he saw the trend in their lives. And he was so glad at the progress they were making. And he really believed that the work that had begun in them would continue in them. And so just a wonderful thing. Paul rejoicing. Reason number two, because of Christ's work in them. And it's so wonderful to realize that God finishes what he starts so unlike me i'll start a million projects around my house and uh, those projects will sit unfinished sometimes i'm ashamed to admit for years but god himself he is a finisher he starts a work and slowly but surely he finishes that work in all of its detail and so uh, reason number two the work of Christ in them. But he goes on in verse 7 in talking about this joy that he had whenever he prayed for the Philippian church. And he said, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so Paul looks at them and he says, listen, this is another thing that causes me to rejoice and hold you close to my heart, he says, because you are partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I think what Paul was saying is that there was something about the Philippian church where as he suffered, you know, there he is in chains. There he is uh, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And he talks about this and he says to the Philippian church, you know, I just rejoice over you because I sense that you're partaking in and kind of experiencing all of that right alongside uh, of me. You're with me in this. You're experiencing this with me. He sensed them by his, his side in his chains, in his defense, and in the confirmation of the gospel. And in one sense, it's true. They experienced uh, this persecution uh, in their church. They saw Paul beaten immediately for the sake of the gospel. And with a little beautiful work that began out at the riverside outside of Philippi, uh, immediately found opposition and their leader thrust into prison. And so uh, Paul says to them, you have suffered right alongside of me. They were co-sufferers, more than just co-laborers, which is wonderful. They were co-sufferers together, which is so wonderful in the mind and heart of Paul because he could have looked at his suffering as being incredibly alone. 
He could have said, woe is me. He could have felt as if no one else could identify with the great burden and pain that he was experiencing. But for Paul, his suffering in his mind was not alone. The Philippian church, they were with him. He did not see himself like Joseph in the pit alone, or Daniel in the lion's den alone, or Elijah at the brook Cherith alone, or Jesus on the cross alone. Paul saw himself as going through his trial and struggle with the Philippian church. And this is such a wonderful thing that the Philippian church gave to the Apostle Paul. And I want you to notice that. I want you to notice that because, you know, part of the reason that Paul felt this way about them and said, you are partakers with me of grace in the imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel Part of the reason that he was able to say that about them, or one of the things that motivated him to, to rejoice over them for suffering with him, is that they had supported him financially. And I found that when we are generous with one another, when we care for one another financially, it's one of the strongest statements of support that a person can make. Recently, in a small group that uh, my wife and I attend, uh, uh, one of the families in the group has begun going through a, a financial trial. It's a minor financial trial, but it is a real financial trial. And, uh, you know, some way or another, I heard about this small little gesture from one member in our group to them of just financial support. And I heard, you know, of their response, which was just so thankful. They were so humbled. And in the course of this, one of the other people in our group, they explained a time in their lives when God had provided for them in a small way through the care and concern of some Christian friends. And the things that they reported just really touched my heart because they explained that they really just sensed in that moment that they were not alone, that they were not alone that there were these other people out there, but more importantly, that God saw them. And it just gave them this sense and this feeling like we are not alone. We are cared for. And, and this is, I think, a very missionary kind of thing. When you're out there serving the Lord or imprisoned like Paul, or you're just trying to live the Christian life, when you get that sense that someone else is supporting you, it just totally blesses your heart. And that's what Paul was saying. We are co suffering together for God verse 8 now another reason is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus you know another reason that Paul in every remembrance was thankful and in every prayer was joyful another reason is simply the the work of God inside of Paul's life and inside of Paul's heart he says you know, God is my witness. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, he, he knew that God had done something inside of his heart. And the love of Christ, the affection of Jesus, was inside of Paul. And uh, just this amazing force of love that had been embedded inside of Paul's heart. Now in verse 9, he goes on and he actually talks about this prayer. And what it is that he was praying. We know that it was filled with joy. We know that it was filled with thankfulness. But here he, he actually writes out his prayer. And I always love when Paul tells us what he's been praying for. 
because it strengthens me at least in my own prayer life to know the kinds of things that this very godly man brought before the Lord. And it says in verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So he doesn't want them to just have this loose, uh, you know, no standards attached to it kind of love. You know, well, we love everybody and so there's no standard. No, he says, I want you to have a love that abounds more and more with knowledge and all discernment. But the first part of his prayer was that he wanted the, the love to from the Philippian church to increase. I think this is a fascinating prayer uh, because he, uh, in one sense, isn't an overly spiritual person in prayer. If you've ever heard or prayed a prayer that is just so overly spiritual, it's like, I don't even know if God himself can understand what this person is trying to pray as they cry out to God. Just, oh, God. Uh, you are so wonderful and mysterious and, and just this on and on and on just kind of thing where you really never have a request. No, Paul had a request. Uh, but on the other hand, his request was not just a physical kind of thing, you know, and it's okay to pray for sickness and all of that. But here Paul was praying for something that was very spiritual. And uh, very important, that their love would increase. That this ultimate mark of maturity for the Christian, that we would be known as disciples of Christ by our love, that that would increase and rise in their midst. Uh, Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 14, Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And in many of his letters, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, Ephesians, he speaks of faith and hope and love. And so the agape love of the believer, he wanted to see that increase in the Corinthian church. They had this love, but he wanted to see it increase, which is so opposite our natural tendency to self-preservation. This was supernatural, self-giving love. But he also goes on and says in verse 10, I'm also praying for you that you may approve what is excellent. And this is discernment, that you may understand or discern what really matters and what is best. Discern, approve what is excellent. You know, love is a mature uh, attribute, but so is being able to discern, discerning what is right, discerning what is good. Uh, Solomon said when he became king in Israel, he said, God, give me discernment that I might know uh, the difference between good and evil. I'm like a little child before this nation. Show me and help me to be a good and righteous judge. And so knowing should I serve God? Where should I serve God? Uh, where should I give to God's work? You know, and all of that. That's where discernment comes into play. And so praying for discernment, asking God to give you discernment. And he says in verse 10, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He prayed for their spiritual and physical purity. Wanted them to be a pure people, praying for purity. I know this is a prayer that as a father, I pray quite often for my children. Filled, verse 11, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory 
and praise of God. He prayed for them to be a fruitful people until the day of Christ. So loving people, discerning people, pure people, uh, and uh, fruitful people to the glory and the praise of God. What a wonderful life of prayer Paul demonstrated towards the Philippian church. And there he is, picture him in his prison cell or in his apartment under house arrest. There he is busy about his father's work. He can't plant a church himself, but he can pray for the body of Christ. And this was his prayer for the Philippian church. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.